0: Welcome to Murder Most Foul, a podcast devoted to exploring famous murder cases of our time, some solved, some unsolved, but all fascinating and guaranteed to raise the hairs on the back of your neck. I'm your host, Jim Solonowski. Today's episode murder potpourri. Join me as I visit with prolific true crime author and all-around fun guy Rod Cackley. Listen in as we talk about his encounter in high school in an elevator with Jane Fonda, and hear about his ancestor who provided medical treatment for a member of Butch Cassidy's gang. Oh, we'll talk murder, too, like the case of the Uber driver who killed fares because, like Flip Wilson said, the devil made him do it not to be undone, by the woman who killed her husband and sought advice from the helpful folks at her local hardware store on how to saw up the body and encase the body parts in cement. Ace is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. Uh, good afternoon or evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of Murder Most Foul. Today's episode is entitled Murder Potpourri, with rod cackley um in in the past a lot of my podcasts have been a single case uh possibly from a couple of different perspectives but focusing on one case uh rod is a uh, award-winning journalist and author and uh prolific and we're going to uh, rather than pick on one case these cases are all interesting and not really things you'll find uh, in uh, the new york times uh so they're a kind of a little obscure but that makes them fascinating uh welcome rod hey hi jim how are you i'm great so let's give my audience just a little background of uh, obviously this is semi a second career you did start in radio as i understand where right. your words came from right. why don't you tell right. us how you started in radio
1: Okay, well, let me tell you, well, to begin with in radio, we had a high school radio station, WPHS, and I figured out you know, as a senior in high school, that radio was inside work with no heavy lifting. And so I was sold, okay, I said, this is it, this is my career. And I can do this with one hand, one, one half of my brain tied behind my back. So I was sold. So then, but then, when it came to journalism, I was on the high school paper, okay, the Warren high observer. And so we, two girls said, Hey, we have to cover something in Detroit, but our dad won't let us go. Or my dad won't let us go. Unless a guy goes with us. Will you go? I said, sure. So we go to cover this event in downtown Detroit in a big building, a church actually big enough to have elevators. Okay. And so the girls get into one elevator that's jammed with people. I said, go ahead. I'll get in this other elevator. I'm in the other elevator the the doors beginning to close. A woman's voice says, hold the door, please, which I do, and it's Jane Fonda. This is 1971, 1972, okay? So it's Jane Fonda with Tom Hayden. And I don't know if you don't remember Tom Hayden. I do, I do, The the SDS, he's a big, scary-looking dude when you're a little, skinny 15-year-old, okay? And Jane Fonda walks in. I'm serious. This is like, you know... In 1971, 72, she could not have been nicer. She she talked to me. She was very into my face, like, "Who are you? What are you going to cover my rally?" Well, it was an anti-war rally. Okay. I was
0: going to say I was wondering yeah. why how they yeah, connected. Yeah, to yeah, the- it was an anti-war okay.
1: rally. So then yeah. she says, "Hey, are you coming to the press conference?" I say, "What's a press conference?" She says, "Come on." She takes me by the arm, and we're walking down the hall. Jane Fonda's holding my arm, and we're Jane and Tom Hayden's behind, and Tom Hayden is angry. Okay, he's a big, angry looking dude. If you don't know, remember him. He was the head of the SDS, Students for a Democratic Society, bomb, throw and burn the ROTC building down kind of guy. Okay, and so I'm going and I'm this little 15 year old kid from the suburbs, you know, who's kind of shook up to be in Detroit after dark. So anyway, then Jane Fonda leads me down to this press conference. And there's all these reporters and big shots from Detroit and some network people there. And then, so we do the press conference, and I'm just amazed. And she looks at me, and she and somebody taps her on the shoulder, like, time for the last question. And so she says, Rod, do you have the question? You have the last question. She gave me the last question. Jane Fonda did, okay? And so then I was sold on journalism. Whoa, 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 whoa. Stop, stop. Absolutely stop, sold on journalism. stop. What did you ask her? You know, by that time, I should have asked her for a paper bag, because by that time, I was really beginning to hyperventilate. But instead, oh, instead, I asked her, I had actually interviewed Dick Gregory, our activist, comedian turned activist. Yep, sure, in the, sure. Back in the days when the universe really stood for something. I had interviewed yeah. him and he had mentioned that he was afraid the FBI was tapping his phone and monitoring his mail. And so I asked her. The only thing I could think of was to ask her that. And she and Tom Hayden looked at each other and laughed and said, oh, yeah. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. wow. Wow. Yeah, so, so that was. But then I was sold on journalism. You know, to be in that kind of an environment with people who were like at the forefront. She was. She and Tom Hayden were at the forefront of a movement back in those days. Well, and, and he, you were
0: you obviously not lucked out, but it, this was not L.A. or New York or Washington.
1: That you know, no, in other
0: words, that right. not that they didn't travel the country, but for you to land where they were and for them oh, yeah. to land in your
1: elevator and, you know, in Detroit, you're right. And, you know, that's what I found working in radio, working in a smaller market. You tend to, it's like, I did a, an interview with, um, I don't know if you're a baseball fan, but Carlton Fisk, Greg. Sure. Luzinski. I mean, I know him. Sure. Yeah. Carlton Fisk, Greg Luzinski and another guy by the name of Tom Pichorek. And this is when the White Sox, Everybody's talking about them going to the world series in 1984 The Tigers actually landed there. But uh, pachorik he was like a utility infielder, which shows he's not much of a ball player. Here he is on a team going to a championship after like a dozen years of going nowhere. And I tried to ask him how he felt about that. And I stumbled around, he said, so what you mean to say is how does it feel to stand where I stand now in in the twilight of my mediocrity? And I thought, wow, that's it. So anyway, that's what I love about journalism. So there you go.
0: But and and so after a while, though, you decided, you know, being locked in a, in a, in a studio, being told what to do. So, yeah, you didn't want to do that anymore. No,
1: I wanted to get out and do my own thing. I really did. I, for my whole life, I wanted to have something that I did myself. And that's what I do with my writing. I do it the way I want to do it. I don't have an editor. I've tried that. I don't have an editor. I don't run it by anybody. If readers if customers like it they'll buy it and if not they won't and, and, they, then and, and we do i do yeah, now, listen, <laughs> then if you don't like it i'll do something else you know now, now what what made you though uh uh
0: what what came first the chicken of the egg of crime and then we're going to talk about your uh, fictional crime but was it true crime and 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 fictional at the same time did you find that true now, crime was, wasn't enough you wanted to be a little more creative how did you get even into was, crime to begin with
1: it was fictional crime first and then i went true crime because i could think i sell a lot more of that i mean so it came down to money okay and i love true crime and how did i get into crime it's because of my i lived. i grew up in warren all right right on the northern border of detroit michigan i went to a bar now i used to get into a bar when i was 17 when the drinking age was 18 but see i started losing my hair so early in the 11th grade a lot of people thought i was in school on the gi bill so I was able to get into bars at the age of 16. Went to a bar called the Club Chevelle, a neighborhood bar. It was owned by a husband and wife, Pat and Mike, Mike and Pat. Mike was a former vice cop out of Detroit. And so all of his vice cop friends and all of the people that busted used to go to the Club Chevelle. So I'm hanging out in this really this underworld kind of environment as a 16-year-old drinking beer for the first time, hanging out with all these criminals. And so I just have always been fascinated by crime. I don't do crime. I've never, well, but, you know, brushing up against them, brushing up against that world is intriguing to me. And I think that's why I do true crime and why I like true crime so much. Well, And sometimes, yeah, I just want to get more creative too.
0: Well, and, and again, like I said, the, the, um, the, uh, Excuse me, the when I've been on your website, and we'll talk about that later in your potpourri. I mean, uh, your blog, your blog, and also your Amazon, you know, Amazon connection to your books. And so I just ticked off a few of the stories that just Mm -hmm. in a small uh, paragraph description sounded kind of interesting. Now, I have to say for my readers, my listeners, I'm sorry, that I have read several of your books and you have done two podcasts. Two uh, prior podcasts that people can go back and look at. There, so I just picked a couple. I might not have the correct title for them. Uh, might be a descriptive title, but you'll know which one I mean. Let's start with the stepfather in
1: the garbage. Okay. Stepfather in the Garbage is an excellent title. I went with Murder by Design, a shocking true crime story. And in this case, we have Jade Jenks. She's a 39-year-old interior designer in California. She was on trial for her life last month, and we're recording this on December 28th, 2022. So last month, she was on trial for her life, accused of killing her stepfather because she found on her stepfather's computer naked pictures of herself and her friends. Turns out this guy had a pool in the backyard and a dressing area, dressing room. You must have had a camera hooked up there. OK, so Jade lived with her stepfather, too. So that complicates things a little bit more. Her stepfather is uh, Thomas Merriman. Now, uh, So Jade is Thomas Merriman's in the hospital. He had a bad fall because the guy drinks and does drugs. OK, so he fell and got hurt. So she's in his office, cleaning up the office. She tells the jury, quote, I'm wiping things down. I bumped the mouse and it shook the screen awake. There's a picture of female breasts on the screen. I have a beauty mark on my chest. And I said, hey, those are my breasts. It was the most violating, awful, gut-wrenching feeling ever. I felt sick. I felt I couldn't even touch my own skin. So... She says that. And the prosecution said, yeah, those pictures were there. There's no doubt about that. No one's arguing about that. But how Thomas Merriman died is the question. The 64-year-old man, she, Jade was picking him up from a rehabilitation center after he fell. Uh, she's driving home. And of course, they gave him all kinds of pain pills and stuff. He wants to stop for whiskey on the way home. And of course... Jane says, sure, let's get a bottle of whiskey at the Dixieland. And so they stop and get this bottle of whiskey. And then he gets drunk. And with the pills, he's out cold, Jane says, in the SUV. Big guy, she can't pick him up and carry him in the house. So she she happens to be texting at the time. And even Tony Soprano said, don't text, don't send emails, Okay, Talk face to face. So because the text and an email, it's never going to go away. So she sends a text, I just dosed the hell out of him. Stopping for whiskey, then at Dixieland to stall, LMK. In another one, he's waking. I really don't want to be the one to do this. In another text, I'm about to club him on the head as he's waking up. (laughs) On another text, he's very aware now, and I'm on my own. And finally, the final text, I can't carry him alone, and I can't keep a kicking body in my trunk. Well, the prosecution says this is, you know, everything. This is right here, everything. But she says, no, what happened is he got wiped out. I couldn't get him out of the SUV at home. So I left him in the car to sleep it off and I get the next day. Okay. Well, the next day is new year's day, 2021. She says she goes out to the car and finds him dead or in a doornail in the back seat. Okay. He just died in the back seat. What's she to do? She gets him out of the car and that's where she says, I can't carry him on my own. Uh, She gets him out of the car, dumps him on the sidewalk. And the only thing she can think to do then is to cover the corpse with boxes and blankets and garbage and other trash. Okay. A neighbor sees her doing this, but doesn't actually see the body. So she says, don't worry. Jade says to the neighbor, we'll be back to pick up the mess. Don't worry. Well, then a friend she'd been texting was worried about Thomas. So he calls the cops. They go out to do a welfare check They go to the house, knock on the door, Thomas Merriman? No, they have to bust the door down, can't find Thomas anywhere. So they go back to their car, and they're kind of thinking, gee, what to do now? One of the police officers kind of absentmindedly kicks one of the boxes laying on the sidewalk, and ta-da, there's Thomas Merriman. So there you go. So that's how they found Thomas Merriman. Now this, uh, you know, so she said she didn't do it. Prosecutor said she did, went to the jury. Jury deliberated for a day. And Jade is going to prison, 25 to life. Uh, She was convicted of first-degree murder. Sentencing will be April 3rd.
0: Well, I, I think you mentioned to me uh, in one of our uh, chats earlier that one of the things that amazes you about some of these uh, uh, criminals and even the choice of stories is that they're kind of
1: stupid. They're dumb. These criminals are dumb. Now, it, 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 I kind of pick stories where the bad guy is never the smart guy, okay? And when it often the the killer, the murderer is there first. And they just don't under – like – in one of my books, a fictional book, it's called The Coffee Shop Killer, based on a true, inspired by a true story called True Love Too Late that I also also published. And it's the story of a woman who in the coffee shop has a coffee shop. And in Vienna, it was a, a candy shop or an ice cream shop. Anyway, in both cases, the, the, woman, <coughs> the, uh, the woman, the protagonist, for lack of a better term, she has these p- men she can't stand. Like she has an ex-husband who won't leave. And he won't leave the apartment, they're divorced. She can't get him to leave, to get his own place. So she gets a gun, doesn't really know how to use the gun, so she joins a local gun club where they teach her how to shoot. So she goes back to the apartment while he's working on his computer, just walks up, bam, blows him away. Shoots him right in the back of the head, okay? There, it's like a, uh, and their flat is above the coffee shop, or in the other case, an ice cream parlor. Okay, so she's got to get him down the stairs. Blah 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 blah. What to do with the body? And I don't know. She buys a chainsaw, but you know what? She doesn't really know how to use a chainsaw. So at the local hardware store, they show her how to use the chainsaw. Then she goes back and tries to cut up the body, and you know, there's blood flying everywhere, and it's just a total, total mess. Then she figures she'll burn it all. Well, bodies don't burn in real life like they burn, okay, In in on TV. It's not like a TV or a movie. So she can't burn the body parts. Oh, crap, what to do now? I know. I'll get them in cement. I'll put them in cement. Okay, So, but then I don't know how to make cement. So she goes again to the local hardware store where they teach her how to mix the cement. She comes back. She mixes the cement. She puts the body parts in, and now her basement is actually like a cellar. Okay, more than a basement. It's not like a finished basement or even, it's just a cellar with pipes and you know, dirt and glass. So she cases all these body parts in the cement and throws them in the cellar. Whew, that's done. Well then she remarries, she gets another guy and convinced he's cheating. So here comes the pistol, bam, shoots him in bed. And then she's better at it now. So she takes him down the stairs, boom, 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 boom. cuts up the body, puts it in cement, throws it into the cellar. Everything's fine. Right. Until the day that her pipes burst and the plumbers go down into the cellar.
0: (laughs) I'm I'm sorry. This this is one of your fiction stories, right? None of this ever happened. Yes, it (laughs) did happen in Vienna.
1: It it did happen in Vienna. If you want to read the true story, that's called. called True Love Too Late. Because she was looking for love, and then she found it too late, okay? And then, because what she did, she finally found a guy who loved her, got pregnant. She's in jail and had the baby in jail. So she found true love too late. And it takes place in my fictional town of St. Isidore, which I call the most dysfunctional community on the planet. Okay, all kinds of crazy stuff happens in St. Isidore. So that's what I did sometimes. So sometimes I do take these stories. I'll, I'll take a story and I don't say it's based on because then I have to, you know, it's inspired by but it's not based on. There's a question of what's factual and not factual. And I don't want to cloud that line. I really don't want to, you know. And speaking of
0: the St. Isidore, which is this fictional place, there's one in there that, again, just in flipping through the descriptions of some of the titles of those books, um, Suicide Forest. Which What's that one about?
1: Okay, the Suicide Forest, actually, I've compiled a lot of these books into one book. And one of them I think we talked about, Go Big or Go Dead. OK, and the idea is St. Su- Isidore is sur- I'm never really clear about whether St. Isidore is around the suicide forest or whether the suicide forest is around St. Isidore. But what happens in the beginning of Go Big or Go Dead is you've got a teenage girl who wants to be rich and famous the easy way. And she has a plan. All she needs is a serial killer to make it happen. Of course, she's hoping and praying that she won't be one of the victims. OK, she knows people are going to have to die, but she doesn't want it to be her. OK, and then she's got to figure out a way. How do you dump a serial killer without getting killed? Well, she comes up with a way and it's a way that is inspired by a true story. OK, it's a way that is inspired by a true story. But in the before the beginning of the end of that, the suicide forest starts off as St. Isidore Park. It's a city park. And this serial killer has been killing people since he's been a teenager, since he was a teenager. And the first one was his first girlfriend. And he and his buddy, Paul, take this girl and they hang her up dead in the park. And then they keep killing and killing and killing and hanging people by by the neck dead in the park. Well, the city fathers find it easier to believe that these are people killing themselves rather than the victims of a serial killer. Okay, and not only do they find it easier to believe that. They find it become now. So anyway, when this girl and the serial killer are doing their thing, running around town, the cable TV people come. And you know what happens when cable TV people come to town. Holy moly. You know, they are the ones who dub the St. Isidore Park, the suicide forest. Okay. Because man, that's catchy. It's the suicide forest. Well, the city fathers find when this, you know, part one of this book is wrapped up. They say, Hey, the suicide forest. This could be a real money machine. This could be an economic driver. People will come here to kill themselves or to kill others. Okay, and so that's what happens. And then the so what, the town makes like little hangman, you know, car that you put on your, <laughs> that you put on your mirror. They're doing that, and the Logan is, hey, play hangman here. We're serious, you know.
0: Okay, yes, stop stop. Yes, I don't yes, want yes, you going yes. any further cuz this is too one if i want people to read the books and okay. these stories. No, that's that's if that's not enough for them to want to find out what happens next, uh then then we all better give up our our careers <laughs> here. So let's talk go back to um because uh aside from being dumb, I am uh interested in motive of some crimes. We all know uh you know people who are psychopathics uh, uh Jeffrey Dahmer, uh, uh Ted Bundy um, uh, Ramirez people who you know are, are nuts, or they do it for sexual gratification, whatever. But the one, the one-off kind of murders are uh, interesting for the motive. Uh, usually, it's it's again a one-off. It's usually uh, from desperation. It's money. It's the gambling. It's 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 drugs. You know, being caught. Whatever it is that it's understandable. Maybe then there are the strange motives or unusual, and and I find this one. I shouldn't laugh about it because it, it includes murder. But tell us about Stephen Capaldi
1: and his motive. Yeah, we never be afraid to laugh about this, by the way, Jim, because remember, you can't spell slaughter without laughter. <laughs> Jim gives me a big thumbs up there. Yeah, this is called cool. <laughs> Kill for a comic book store. Okay, Stephen Capaldi in Pennsylvania, Sellersville, Pennsylvania. More than anything, 57. And you know, like I said when I was 55, I left the radio work-a-day world. you got to have a dream. And when you're in your mid-50s, man, that's when the dreams have happened. And Stephen Capaldi's got this dream. Now, with mine, nobody died, okay? That's the good thing. With Stephen's dream, he wants to own a comic book store.
0: It's the comic book store. It's the comic book store. It's the comic book store
1: his wife hates the idea. I was single at the time when I had my idea, so that's why nobody got hurt. But Stephen Capaldi, she's 57, his wife hates the idea of a comic book store. Well Stephen has a girlfriend who loves the comic book store idea, and he loves her, or at least he tolerates her, so he figures if I get rid of wife, my wife Elizabeth, I'll get the girlfriend and I'll get the comic book store. So here we go. So he strangles Elizabeth in her sleep. He uses a pillow to smother her. Then once she's dead, she takes the body. He takes the body down to the basement, which hauling a dead body is no easy thing to do, okay? But there he cuts it up the best he can, which is like a real butcher job. He throws the pieces into the trunk of his car and starts driving around town. This is in near Philadelphia, throwing body parts out of the car. Choo, 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 choo. The the police found part of her body in a wooded area near, actually her, yeah, parts of her body were in a wooded area near Philadelphia International Airport. So that's where they started finding bodies, her body parts. The other parts of her body were found uh, along the Delaware River and more were found in a dumpster. So he did have the decency to use a dumpster at one point. yeah, but the whole thing was about his motive was this comic book store. He dreamed of having the comic book store. And Elizabeth couldn't see that, so. So me and the guys were talking about this great investment opportunity. Nope. That, <laughs> but you didn't hear what it was. I know. Oh, come on. Fine, what is it? It's to help reopen the comic
0: book store. Nope. <laughs> And I'm guessing he he got caught long before he was able to open up uh, the comic book store. Yeah,
1: never opened the comic book store. Oh, that's too that's bad. Too,
0: yeah, yeah. That's too bad. Now, before we move on, I want to move on to a couple more. Like I said uh-huh. to you before, I can chop where I want, but I right. don't. I had to write this in handwriting because I forgot about it as I did my type notes. It, it, what made me remember it is the, the Jane Fonda thing. Let's talk about something in your ancestor's past, which I found it's not
1: technically a murder, could have been. Let's talk about Butch Cassidy. And this is a really famous story in uh, Soda Springs, Idaho. And it involves one of my ancestors, or at least I'll claim him as an ancestor because he spells my la- the last name correctly, K-A-C-K-L-E-Y. So many people do. Actually, you know why it's spelled with a K? One of my long, long dead ancestors, Benjamin Cackley, fought with Benjamin uh, with uh, uh, Benedict Arnold in the uh, Revolutionary War before Benedict went rogue and went traitor. But when my ancestor, Benjamin Cackley, went to get his paycheck from the Continental Congress, he spelled his name with a C, C-A-C-K-L-E-Y. They only had a check for one K-A-C-K-L-E-Y. Benjamin <laughs> said, you know what? I spell it with a K. It was my mistake. So he got the money and that's how I became spelled in the case. Anyway, it's a spring day, June 2nd, 1899. Butch Cassidy's kid, our gang has robbed the Overland Flyer of the Union Pacific Railroad a few days ago, and it didn't go well. A member of Butch's gang got shot. He's in bad, bad shape. So they go into Soda Springs looking for a doctor. And this is the day when, you know, doctors would literally hang out a shingle. That's where the expression comes from. You hang out a shingle with your name mm-hmm. on it, doctor, physician. And so then they see him. And it's, um, they need a doctor fast. They find that way, Dr. Ellis Cackley. They bust into Ellis Cackley's office, stick a gun in his face and demand that he go out and help their, you know, their comrade who's been shot. Ellis says, wait a minute, I will help. He's from Nashville, Tennessee, a young guy, but he and his wife had vowed that they would give birth to mo- deliver more babies than had ever been delivered in the Wild West, okay? And that plays into the story later. But so anyway, he says, "I, Dr. Cackley says, I will help you, but I will not do it with a gun in my face. So put your gun back in your holster, and we'll go out and do this. So they go out, and he said, yeah, this guy is in bad shape, very bad shape. So they take him to an abandoned church, and he's working on the outlaw in the church and gets them, gets the bullet out, and he says, but you cannot move this guy. You can, you're going to have to leave him here. You cannot move him. And the gang, Butch says, how are we going to get him food? You know, not... So Ellis comes up with an idea, Ellis Cackley. What he does is he dresses these outlaws in his wife's dresses. No, Yes, he dresses the outlaws in his wife's dresses. And then they go from the Cackley home where Mrs. Cackley is cooking food for the outlaws. And they take the food back to the old abandoned church so that the guy can eat, the wounded com- you know outlaw can eat. And so they do this day after day. These outlaws are wearing dresses. Butch Cassidy's gang are wearing dresses back and forth, carrying food back and forth. Okay. well, the outlaw survives and Butch says, thank you very much. And he takes off. Well, you know, the only way to keep a secret among three people is to kill two of them. Right. So this secret gets out and Doc Cackley gets arrested and he's charged with aiding and abetting. This whole thing comes out, and the sheriff is ready to prosecute. Finally, you know, they have traveling judges back in those days, 1899. So the judge comes to town, and he's ready to seat a jury. Remember I said they wanted to, Doc Cackley and his wife, who was a nurse, wanted to deliver more babies than had ever been. Well, it turns out in Soda Springs, Idaho, if you haven't been delivered by Doc Cackley, your kids were delivered by Doc Cackley, okay? Doc Cackley you know, the, the whole town owed their lives, or the lives of their son, their siblings, sons and daughters, to Doc Cacklin. Nobody wants to sit on the jury. Nobody is going to, you know, sit on the jury and convict this man. And then the sheriff finally he tells the reporter, and this is all documented. Okay, I'm not making this up. And uh, besides, the sheriff tells the reporter, what he did is understandable. The son of a bitch has always had a problem with authority. Better get ready. kid. The next time I say let's go someplace like Bolivia, let's go someplace like Bolivia. Next time. Ready? No, we'll jump. Like hell we will. No, it'll be okay. If the water's deep enough, we don't get squished to death. they will never follow us. How do you know? Would you make a jump like that and you didn't have to? I have to, and I'm not going to. Well, we got to, otherwise we're dead. They're just going to have to go back down the same way they come. Come on. Just one clear shot, that's all I come want. Come on. Uh-uh. We got to. Nope. Get away from me. Why? I want to fight them. They'll kill us. Maybe. You want to die? Do you? All right. I'll jump first. No. Nope. Then you jump first. Oh, no, I said. What's the matter with you? I can't swim.
0: <laughs> Why, are you crazy?
1: The fall will probably
0: kill you. Uh, let's add a couple of more of the stories I have here. Okay. Um, so we got that. We got the... Uh, I'm guessing a torso killer was chopping up. Well, how about, I like the one, the Uber driver.
1: Uh, I think the the devil made him do it. The devil made him do it. And this takes place in Kalamazoo, Michigan, which is where I'm living now. This is a night in February and I can't find it on my screen right now. Okay, Uh, I'll wait. uh, I can tell you real quick, we have an Uber driver who on his iPhone says that the devil is telling him who to kill and not to kill when he picks up his fares, okay? And so he's driving around. This is one night and he drives in the first one. He drives into an apartment uh, building, an apartment complex. Kids are outside playing in a playground and a woman is out there with them. He pulls in and he's looking for his fare. The fare is not there. So the red light goes on in his phone and it tells him to start shooting. So he pulls out his gun and starts shooting, just start blasting away. This woman he's talking to, she dives on top of the kids to shield them. She's shot like four or five times, but will survive, okay? And then he takes off and goes off again. He goes off to his next fair, and this time the red light does not go on, so he is not going to kill anybody, all right? But he's driving like a madman. The guy, his fare gets out, and, you know, he just demands to get out, and so it's February, he pulls up into a snowbank, the guy jumps out and runs, grabs his phone and starts calling 911. Well, he's picking up more and more. This guy, Jason, is picking up more, and Jason Dalton is picking up more and more fares. And the ones who live, they're calling 911 saying there's a wild man, an Uber driver is just going crazy. Well, in the meantime, they're getting reports from this playground at the apartment complex about the shooting of an Uber driver. So they're putting two and two together. He's driving. They're chasing him. This is one night in February. They're chasing him. He's shooting other people. He pulls into a a, a Cracker Barrel restaurant, and he's in the bathroom, okay, sitting in the stall. His phone goes off, and it's telling him to start shooting people. He goes up to a van, a minivan, and just unloads in the minivan. And there's like four or five women in there and a young girl, a 14-year-old girl. The women are all killed. The girl is shot in the head. All uh, right, they come and they get her, and they and this is a story of survival too. Okay, they they come and get her. They take her to the hospital, Abby Cop. They take her to the hospital and they pronounce her dead. And her mother is holding her hand, and uh, she's ready. They're ready to take her in for the or to remove the organs, the organ transplant. And all of a sudden, the little girl, her finger moves and she traces out the letter uppercase letter B on her mother's hand. Well, B was their code for their aunt. Uh, Beatrice, who was killed in the van. So the mother knows Abby has just come back to life. Did she she survive? Yes. Yeah. She's doing well today. Yeah. She's doing well today back at, you know, but it was, she was that close. I mean, that close to being taken in for an organ transplant. So they do catch this guy. He killed, I mean, I don't have my copy right up in front of me, Hmm? but he killed like four or five people. I mean, it was just a blood-soaked night. I mean, Kalamazoo is a small town, all right? I mean, it's Western Michigan University and factories, and that's it, okay? It's a a relatively small town. So on WKZO, the radio station in town, WKMI, the TV station, everybody's saying we're out. And this is a Friday night, so all the kids from Western are downtown looking for Uber, getting drunk, and they're looking for Uber drivers, okay? They finally catch this guy when he runs out of bullets and then just the cops surround him downtown. They take him in for trial. And this guy is just about as whacked out as you could get. Oh, he, he crashes his car and calls his wife. Hey, I need another car. Let me bring, meet me with the other car. Okay, fine. So they, and, and finally he stands up in court and says, I did it all. I did it. I'm pleading guilty. And his lawyer's trying to pull him back down. But he says, I don't want to put these people through this anymore because the survivors are coming on and they're testifying. And like the woman who saved the lives of the children, she can barely walk. And from the uh, gunshot wounds. And when she looks at him, when she's testifying, she just breaks down and loses it. And they have to recess the trial for like a couple of hours. And so, I mean, this is just a very emotional story. You know, beyond the fact that you've got a mass murderer driving around a small town, killing people seemingly at will because the devil is telling him to do it. You've got a 14-year-old girl who's shot in the head and lives is so close to death that they're getting her ready for organ transplants, organ removal, and she survives. And then you've got the survivors who have to tell their stories. I mean, this is just an incredibly emotional story. I mean, in one point, you've got a teenage girl calling from a Burger King because this guy's over in the parking lot across the street, killing her boyfriend, her boyfriend's brother, and her boyfriend's father. And she was able to escape and run to a phone at a Burger King restaurant. And she's calling the cops, telling them what's happening. I mean, the guy's whack, but the devil made me
0: do it. What Was it just a red light or was it some, I mean, he claims a text that said, I'm the devil. Do, I mean, how did he connect it, it in it, his it mind was, to the devil? It,
1: it was a red light, he said, that would appear on his iPhone. Okay. Like a red light, like an image of, you know, the devil with the horns okay. and stuff. Just a red light that told him to do it. And so that's the, and the book's titled, uh, The Devil Made Him Do It, The Story of Mass Murder.
0: The Devil Made Me Buy This Dress. And, yeah. and and I believe that uber's picked this up for their for their ad campaign correct <laughs> yeah I just, right I just oh, wanted yeah. to jump, yeah. want to throw that in there well listen uh this is great well, I'll be back again I I didn't realize these were so much fun um but before we go please give my audience all your various I know you have a blog and you've got a obviously you've got a a, a website so why
1: don't you give all that stuff out okay yeah thanks Jim the website and the blog are the same rod cackley at rodcackley.com And uh, it's rodcackley.com. Email is rod at rodcackley.com. And Amazon is the best place to go to find my books. You can just go to Amazon, type in Rod Cackley, K-A-C-K-L-E-Y, like they spelled it after my ancestor got his first check from the Continental Congress. And uh, you're rocking.
0: Um, Yes. And one thing I this is just my little pitch. I mean, you go on there to learn all about the books, get figure out the ones you like, and then uh, go to an independent bookstore to buy them. Because all independent bookstores, uh, we need to keep them out there. And they also they may have to order it so it may take a couple of days but it's better for them to get the money than and you get the money anyway it doesn't matter yeah so right that, that's that's my little pitch but if you're in a hurry is, yeah. all this stuff of course I did this with a couple uh, I've done this with books when I'm in a hurry I've got a uh, you know a interview coming up is that you can do ebook I mean you can do uh, you know yep. Kindle and read it right away for for a very inexpensive amount of money uh but it it I just don't like reading them that way I like to turn the pages down dog here, the pages, Mm. et cetera. So I don't use library for these things or Kindle, unless I can, uh, if I can avoid it. Well, listen, you're you're a hoot, okay? (laughs) I mean, there's nothing else I can say that you're a hoot. And so again, I do direct um, my audience, just uh, I forget the titles, because like you, Rod, I I try to give my podcast catchy titles and i don't remember what the, what the uh uh topic was what the case was but go back and look at all my podcasts but you'll find um at least two i did the one on uh eva eva duggan mm-hmm. and the one on kelsey uh gareth marath barrett barrett kelsey which is which is a fan is uh it like you said there's yours are down the rabbit hole because in the Kelsey Bear, it's a lovely little woman. I won't give it all away, but she's murdered. And this guy's mother participates in, you know, uh, disposing of the, of the body. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. His mother. And it's just, you know, I, I'm uh, – and there's kids involved. I mean, you know, like yeah. the, the shared a child and all this. It's like I, I can't – I'm a – I don't know why I keep doing it because it's so much fun. Yeah. All right. Well, listen, Rod, this has been great. Uh, I will uh, let you know when it's up and running. And again, ladies and gentlemen, it's Rod Cackley with a K, if you want to really find the books, not a C. -C K-A-C-K-L-E-Y. Well, there you have it folks, another edition of Murder Most Foul. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, I hope you'll tell your friends. They can find the podcast on all the popular podcast platforms. They can also link to it at the website at the website for the podcast which is www.murdermostfoul all one word, no caps, no spaces.com. So, I hope you all have a Happy New Year and a Healthy New Year. And until we meet again, stay safe. And for God's sakes, don't murder anyone.